welcome to Myth Matters, storytelling and conversation about mythology and why myth matters to your life today. I'm your host and personal mythologist, Dr. Catherine Svela. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful, crazy world of ours, you are part of this story circle. Well, here we are, (laughs) the end of April, the final days of National Poetry Month here in the United States. And today we're going to step out of the usual format of this podcast and do something different. We're going to make a move beyond conventional wisdom into the imaginal realm. We're going to go on a poetic journey. The seed of this adventure is the opening paragraph from a daily meditation that was circulated by Richard Rohr from the Center for Action and Contemplation earlier this year. The meditation is titled Moving Beyond Conventional Wisdom, and I want to give a very thankful shout out to Dick Sumter, a friend and listener in Kansas City, who forwarded this essay to me. Rohr reflects on the limitations of our reasonable, rational, quotidian ways of knowing, and he offers three further forms or ways of knowing that can allow us to access greater wisdom. The first of these is images. He writes, images Imaginal knowing is the only way that the unconscious can move into consciousness. It happens through fantasy, through dream, through symbols, where all is, quote, thrown together, end quote, which is the meaning of the word symbalon in Greek, thrown together. It happens through pictures, events, and well-told stories, It happens through poetry, where well-chosen words create an image that, in turn, creates a new awareness that was in us already. We knew it, but we didn't know it. We must be open to imaginal knowing, because the work of transformation will not be done logically, rationally, or cerebrally. Our intellectual knowing alone is simply not adequate to the greatness and the depth of the task. Maybe a poet would express the inadequacy of our intellectual knowing like this. Even ornaments of speech are forms of deceit by Ron Cortage. It's 1667. Reason is everywhere, saving for the future, ordering a small glass of wine. Cause, arm in arm with effect, strolls by in sturdy shoes. Of course, there are those who venture out under cover of darkness to buy a bag of metaphors or even some personification from Italy, primo and uncut. But for the most part, poets like Rodrigo stroll the boulevards in their normal hats, When he thinks of his beloved, he opens his notebook with a flourish. Your lips, he writes, are like lips. (laughs) 
Today's a poetic journey will take you through a landscape of seven voices in addition to my own. I invited Patreon patrons and Bandcamp supporters of Myth Matters to make a short recording of themselves reading poetry. And this is the result. Taken together, the poems traverse a wide variety of life experience, moments, visions, memories, and epiphanies. Most of the poems in this episode are original, and the poets generously supplied the text of their work for inclusion in the transcript of this episode, so you can read along or visit with their words in a different format. Please respect their copyrights. You will find the transcript, including these poems, along with photos and links to their websites and Instagram handles on my website, mythicmojo.com. I hope these help you to take a journey into poetry of your own devising. My hope in offering this kaleidoscope of poems and voices of topics and perspectives is to make a move beyond conventional wisdom, as Rohr says, to deeper knowing and recognition, to find or reaffirm our appreciation of the richness of life and the gift of living in this time. There is loss and pain. There is grief and helplessness mixed in. Let's not pretend otherwise and let it also be fuel for creative fires. May synchronicity or a moment of grace or attention gift you with a poem that lifts you up today and helps you see that you are not alone. My name is Cynthia Anderson, and I live in Yucca Valley, California. I'll read three short poems, all written during this past COVID year. Ode to a Pear Do you remember the tree where you were born, at the far end of the world? You left your orchard in the Alto Valley, crossed continents and oceans, flew higher than swallows, to land in California, on my kitchen counter, your perfect flesh ripening with a blush. In the time of COVID, you upturn seasons, autumn Bartlett in Mojave spring. I can hardly grasp you're from Argentina, can't help but think of the energy spent to bring you here how humans take and take to satisfy a craving. Like you, I exist in this moment, then the next, as long as life will last. And soon, Dantro de Poco, you'll be part of me. This next poem is called The Loner. Today I'm thinking of my late father and his desert home, 
17 miles down the rocky dirt of Signal Road, three wide crossings of the Big Sandy, where, in winter, rushing water could turn you back for months. His quarter section, $50 an acre, the nearest neighbor, a half-hour ride in the 4 by 4 the only sounds, wild burrows braying, and top-gun pilots buzzing the riverbed. He built his own house, grew his own food, stayed there as much as possible for three decades, a desert rat born and raised on the outskirts of El Centro. From his heaven, he laughs at the flap over social distancing. His life began when he left the rest of us behind. And this last poem is called Coyote Again. Dawn's just taking hold as I walk up the hill toward Coyote, who sits in the dirt road facing me. Scrawny and sick, he's the one I've seen for weeks, who smiles sheepishly, then hobbles away. A solitary figure, all the trickster knocked out of him. He needs help that's not mine to give, a clean end to his suffering. No one deserves limbo, breath hanging on past its time. But can I forgive Coyote his trespasses? If not today, when? Elise Coast, Mojave Desert, Joshua Tree, California. The desert winter winds knocked me to my knees and emptied me. Sometimes we sink, sometimes swim, sometimes so deep or far out we forget we can fly, sometimes so high, sometimes step and the path slips away. It's a fool's quest, seeking why. Sometimes we gotta hustle. Sometimes sit still. Sometimes settle. Be gentle. Sometimes draw the line. Winter is also internal. Time is a trickster hard to find, sometimes so much to unwind and unlearn. It's not easy to change, but sometimes we got to rearrange the furniture or curl in and rest until the fire returns. I muster, I offer, I pray. Show me the way. I let go, I let in the all surrounding and within vast, unified, 
everything. As the great sun rises and budding spring sings, I emerge braver and I remember the next layer. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Stay humble to listen to what love is whispering to you now. Wisdom, water, follows and receives. What can you see when you are not looking? I'm Rags Rosenberg. I'm in Joshua Tree, California. I'm reading the poem, The Archers, from my book, Raised in the Shadow. They are moving quietly through the shadows, barely below the threshold of my discomfort. They are whispering, calling out my true name, the one I forgot. They are tugging, insistent, forceful, their firm dark hands on the blades of my shoulder, turning me first this way and then that. Like an arrow, they aim me with tender, merciless love directly toward the center of my fear. Their exquisite accuracy measured unerringly by the windsock of my resistance. It's an oddly practical dynamic. The harder I struggle, the clearer their target. Rags Rosenberg here, and I'm reading a poem by Theodore Rothke, In a Dark Time. In a dark time, the eye begins to see. I meet my shadow in the deepening shade. I hear my echo in the echoing wood. A lord of nature weeping to a tree. I live between the Huron and the Wren, beasts of the hill and serpents of the den. What's madness but nobility of soul at odds with circumstance? The day's on fire. I know the purity of pure despair. My shadow pinned against a sweating wall. That place among the rocks, is it a cave or a winding path? The edge is what I have. A steady storm of correspondences, a night flowing with birds, a ragged moon, and in broad day the midnight come again. A man goes far to find out what he is. Death of the self in a long, tearless night, all natural shapes blazing unnatural light. Dark, dark my light, and darker my desire. My soul, like some heat-maddened summer fly, keeps buzzing at the sill. Which I is I? A fallen man, I climb out of my fear. The mind enters itself, and God the mind. And one is one, free in the tearing wind.
in poetry as survival. Gregory Orr writes, But in the act of making a poem, at least two crucial things have taken place that are different from ordinary life. First, we have shifted the crisis to a bearable distance from us, removed it to the symbolic but vivid world of language. Secondly, we have made and shaped this model of our situation rather than passively endured it as lived experience. Michael Kemp from Santa Barbara, California. The Threshold. You left at the threshold of winter. I watched you go. I held your hands. With the last exhale, you moved on. I watched you go. I entered the emptiness in your wake. With the last exhale, you moved on. I hold that moment in my heart. I entered the emptiness in your wake. I found small sprouting seeds. I hold that moment in my heart. I watched the seeds burst forth. I found small sprouting seeds. Like you, they cast off their shell. I watched the seeds burst forth. Like you, they reach for the light. Winter solstice. Let us gather on the solstice, welcoming the longest night, honoring our inner darkness, faith in mystery burning bright. Deep within the caves and caverns, snakes entwine their warmth to share, hundreds resting, sleeping, watching, hissing, sinuous their prayer. There beside them in the darkness, deep within the quiet earth, Seeds and bulbs and roots are waiting for the spring to aid their birth. On the surface, winds are blowing, clouds obscure the winter sky. In the fields that now lay fallow, creatures dream of days gone by. Winter oceans pound the shoreline, sands are pulled back out to sea. Rocky coasts, the bones of summer, now exposed for all to see. Like the snakes, we curl together. Like the seeds, we wait and sleep. Like the creatures, we are dreaming. Like the sands, our thoughts are deep. Like the fields, we now lay fallow. Like the caves, we're dark and still. Like the skies, we're clouded over. Like the seas, we're gray and chill. Honor we the dark and mystery. Nurture we the seed within. Worship we the empty spaces, letting go what might have been. With the dawn, the solstice passes. One more cycle now is done. By our faith, the wheel is turning, and we welcome home the sun. Jennifer Bradpeace, Los Angeles. How to paint pain. Canvas must be skin, a hide pulled tight. Gesso the canvas by allowing a gossamer stream of saliva to fall into your palm, rub into skin, 
like a bomb softening the hide. Now split yourself open. Use a scalpel to find the fissure where muscles and tendons open. Stretch one across for texture. Snap off the radius where it meets the ulna. Dip the heart-shaped end to the pool inside your elbow. Hold it over your head like a half note. Wave long and short strokes onto the canvas. Circle your abdomen until the skin swirls open, exposing the coiled intestinal maze. For a balance of earth tones, take what is left in the bowels with both palms. Carve yourself open to the clavicle. Break off the smallest rib for finer detail. Open your lungs to lacquer over the clotting. Plunge a fingernail into your ear. Now blow to heat what lingers there. Use this encaustic to seal the layers. Now you must sign your work by pressing the veins of your heart against its corner. If you've created something you could live with daily on your wall, begin again. Self by prescription. Oh, the oblong, kidney-shaped, apricot serrated, pillow-browned, pale blue dream. There is a science in balancing the pill's volatile contradictory calendars, alkalizing conflicting agendas. This one unearths ice picks from ocular nerve, eardrum, and dims thought's evasive aura. My senses pulsate into floorboards. That one puppets marionette limbs to lift plate to sink. Jelloed muscles give as water washes plates straight through hands. A porcelain symphony scrapes across metal sink sides and shatters my skull. And this one controls pain's acute expiration date, forecloses the hollow bone house left when the nuclear glow gives way, allows me to swallow the dull throb, the nauseous air, the heady light. The death knell for my natural senses sounded over two decades ago. Unmedicated cells that fluidly carried the organs' rhythms and the flesh's thesaurus are lost country. Each line on that globe leading back has been undone by chalky erasers. My skin's ship docked far from any known topography or ancient map's lost sea. There is an art to pouring yourself out of so many bottles. I am mixing up a new galaxy. I am naming every star some piece of me. The poetic can insert itself into life in some very interesting ways. On a morning walk in the desert near my home last week, well, I found an elderly dog, a black female Great Dane, 
her muzzle and paws liberally shot through with silver, lying in the spare shade of a creosote bush. I approached her cautiously, <laughs> respectful of my fear of unfamiliar dogs, but her exhaustion and her fear of hoping too much for kindness and help were quickly apparent. She'd been alone in the desert without enough water and food for much too long. I'll skip the story of how she ended up in the cool shade of my patio with her thirst fully slacked, gently snoring at my feet. In that moment, I reflected on the improbable circumstances of our meeting. The desert is vast. She was so still. And I was caught up in the task of putting one foot in front of the other, something I find challenging these days. A black shape registered on the periphery of my vision. It could have been an old tire chucked out into the big empty. There are lots of those littering up the desert. But there was something in the glimpsed form that touched the memory of a similar shape. And it reminded me of my beloved dog Steinbeck, who's now gone. And the sight of his black lab body stretched out in a shady patch of desert dirt. Thus imprinted, I couldn't dismiss that glimpse of black. And the question that rose up in my mind, could that be a dog? Without further investigation. Hours later, daily plans hijacked once again. I opened a book of poetry to a random page and, well, <laughs> let me read you the poem that appeared. It's called Buddha's Dogs by Susan Brown. And P.S., yes, I found the dog's owner, and there was a happy reunion later on that day. Buddha's Dogs. I'm at a day-long meditation retreat, eight hours of watching my mind with my mind, and I already fell asleep twice and nearly fell out of my chair, and it's not even noon yet. In the morning session, I learned to count my thoughts, 10 in one minute, and the longest was to leave and go to San Anselmo and shop, then find an outdoor cafe and order a glass of Sancerre, smoked trout with roasted potatoes and baby carrots and a bowl of gazpacho. But I stayed and learned to name my thoughts. So far, they are wanting, wanting, wanting. Wanting, 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 judgment, sadness. Don't identify with your thoughts, the teacher says. You are not your personality, not your ego identification. Then he bangs the gong for lunch. Whoever, whatever I am, is given instruction in the walking meditation and the eating meditation and walks outside with the other meditators and we robble across the lake like the night of the living dead. I meditate slowly, falling over a few times because I kept my foot in the air too long, 
towards a bench, sit slowly down, and slowly eat my sandwich, noticing the bread, sourdough, noticing the taste, tuna, sourdough, noticing the smell, sourdough, tuna, thanking the sourdough, the tuna, the ocean, the boat, the fisherman, the field, the grain, the farmer, the saran wrap that kept this food fresh for this body made of food and desire, and the hope of getting through the rest of this day without dying of boredom. Sun, then cloud, then sun. I notice a maple leaf on my sandwich. It seems awfully large. Slowly brushing it away, I feel so sad I can hardly stand it, so I name my thoughts. They are sadness about my mother, judgment about my father, wanting the child I never had. I notice I've been chasing the same thoughts like dogs around the same park most of my life. Notice the leaf tumbling gold to the grass. The gong sounds, and back in the hall. I decide to try lying down meditation and let myself sleep. The Buddha in my dream is me, surrounded by dogs wagging their tails, licking my hands. I wake up for the forgiveness meditation, the teacher saying, never put anyone out of your heart. And the heart opens and knows it won't last and will have to open again and again, chasing those dogs around and around in the sun, then cloud, then sun. Hello, Catherine and Myth Matters listeners. My name is Amy Kelly Hoitsma, and I live in Bozeman, Montana. And the poem I chose is by Billy Collins, who I love. And the title of the poem is Forgetfulness. The name of the author is the first to go, followed obediently by the title, the plot, the heartbreaking conclusion, the entire novel, which suddenly becomes one you have never read, never even heard of. As if, one by one, the memories you used to harbor decided to retire to the southern hemisphere of the brain, to a little fishing village where there are no phones. Long ago, you kissed the names of the nine muses goodbye and watched the quadratic equation pack its bag. And even now, as you memorize the order of the planets, Something else is slipping away, a state flower perhaps, the address of an uncle, the capital of Paraguay. Whatever it is you are struggling to remember, it is not poised on the tip of your tongue, not even lurking in some obscure corner of your spleen. It has floated away down a dark mythological river whose name begins with an L as far as you can recall well on your way to oblivion, where you will join those who have even forgotten how to swim and how to ride a bicycle. No wonder you rise in the middle of the night to look up the date of a famous battle in a book on war. No wonder the moon in the window seems to have drifted out of a love poem you used to know by heart. My name is Jeff Bernstein, Sacramento, California. 
The name of this poem is On the Nature of Understanding by Kay Ryan. Say you hope to tame something wild and stayed calm and inched up day by day, or even not tame it, but meet it halfway. Things went along. You made progress, understanding it would be a lengthy process, sensing changes in your hair and nails. So it's strange when it attacks. You thought you had a deal. I've been joined by a purring cat who will not be dislodged, so perhaps you'll hear that in the background. In Madness, Rack, and Honey, Collected Lectures, poet and essayist Mary Rufel opens with some reflections on beginnings. Paul Valery, she writes, described his perception of first lines so vividly and to my mind so accurately that I have never forgotten it. The opening line of a poem, he said, is like finding a fruit on the ground, a piece of fallen fruit that you have never seen before, and the poet's task is to create the tree from which such a fruit would fall. Here is the poem titled Grasshopper by Mary Rufel. Have you ever tried to catch a grasshopper? It is practically impossible, but those who make a close study of life believe that under the surface is a pillar of motionless time. Now is the time to add a grasshopper to your viatica, to abandon endless exposure and embrace unnoticed life. Now pounce. Remember, he weighs less than an ounce, and under him is a pillar of motionless time. Elise Coast, Mojave Desert, Joshua Tree, California. Live life like a poem. Pause. Sing. Linger. Stop. Weather brings buds to unfurl without effort. Discover what you're holding, and let it drop. Continue through completion before beginning again. Be lightning when it's time. Precision is a gem. Love is listening. In the last episode of Myth Matters, I was joined by a special guest, Brian Michael Tracy, and we had an interesting conversation about poetry and soul. I'd like to share a few words from the preface of Brian's book, Opaic Traveler, A Dream Sequence in Verse. Brian notes that we are all on the same journey between blood and roses. The better we understand our own metaphors 
he writes, the more we activate and nourish our own imaginations and poetic minds, the more enriching the experience, the more human our being. I'd like to close with one more poem from Mary Ruffel. It's called The Hand. The teacher asks a question. You know the answer. You suspect you are the only one in the classroom who knows the answer because the person in question is yourself. And on that, you are the greatest living authority. But you don't raise your hand. You raise the top of your desk and take out an apple. You look out of the window. You don't raise your hand, and there is some essential beauty in your fingers, which aren't even drumming, but lie flat and peaceful. The teacher repeats the question. Outside the window, on an overhanging branch, a robin is ruffling its feathers, and spring is in the air. And that's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth Matters. Thank you, thank you to the marvelous patrons and supporters of this podcast who lent their words and voices to our circle today. Feel free to contact me with questions or comments or poems in response to today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, Happy myth-making, and keep the mystery in your life alive.